0: Hi,
1: my name is Ida and my name is Deja and welcome to Sad Girl Sunday.
0: Welcome to another episode of Sad Girl Sunday. My name is Ida. I hope everyone is doing well. This week we're gonna get into the topic of children of immigrants but before we do that, we're gonna just take a minute to check in with ourselves. So Deja, could you please let us know how was your week?
1: I am doing well. Ida, thank you for asking. This week was good. I feel like I got a lot of stuff accomplished. I got praise from my therapist. So that's always like big thumbs up. <laughs> um,
0: that's a huge deal. I think Yeah, that's no, a seriously.
1: Deal. I'm like, rarely do I ever she was like, Yeah, wow, it sounds like you had a great week. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I guess I did have a good week. <laughs> so so that's good, but yeah, no. Um this week went by really quick and it was awesome and I'm super happy to be recording this 7th episode with you, which is crazy. Like I can't believe we've already gone through 7 episodes not counting the trailer. So.
0: Yeah, not counting the trailer.
1: Technically. I know
0: we've had enough <laughs> discipline to get this far, you guys. Yeah, I'm I surprised did with not- myself.
1: Yeah, this is wow. Very proud of us. Very proud of us. But how are you? How is your week going? What have you been up to?
0: i've been good yesterday i got to see my godmother and spend time with her it was really fun we just do like fun stuff that old people like to do like go to macy's nobody goes to macy's anymore it's like a a dead abandoned like box of a building but it's like really fun to be with her and hang out and it was just so nice we just went and we got like coffee and then yeah it was it was just like a, a lovely friday and so, it's so
1: funny that you say that there's, like, an abandoned Macy's, like, two blocks away from my apartment. Oh,
0: <laughs> I, Macy, nobody goes there anymore. Honestly, I mean, I, I think our generation, we shop online more than we actually, yeah. like, go to physical places to shop so I feel like it's you know it's gonna be a dying trend I don't know unless like Macy's figures out how to like do e-commerce stuff but um it was, good time. It was good time thank they- you
1: for sharing that oh thanks <laughs> so last week we discussed friendship and the importance of black sisterhood but like I said in today's episode we are talking all about the experiences of first and second generation immigrant children so before we get started I think it's really important that we define what exactly are first and second generation immigrants
0: yes yeah. Yep. So according to the internet, first-generation immigrants is defined by the U.S. Census Bureau of foreign-born people as first-generation people who permanently immigrate to a new country. So this also includes people who are naturalized citizens, or even if you weren't a naturalized citizen and then you end up moving to a new country, but you live the rest of your life in that country. And then a second-generation gen- immigrant is defined as those who were born to at least one immigrant parent. And usually they are a child who was born in the United States or in the country that is not native to their country of origin.
1: Exactly. And so I think we wanted to delve into this topic this week because um, both Aiden and I are, as the U.S. Census Bureau defines us, second-generation immigrants. Both of our parents um, were not born in the United States, but we were born in the United States. And so there is a shared commonality of that background of what it means to be a child of immigrants. And so there's this perception that like children of immigrants work so hard and there are all of these other things. And I think that there's some truth to that just because we are trying so hard to prove that our parents' sacrifices were worth it. And sometimes that can unfortunately come with struggles of the experiences of children of immigrants or children of migrants. Mental health being one huge topic a lot of times that is hard to tackle sometimes in immigrant families, just because the idea of health care for mental illness might seem completely inaccessible or foreign or even the concept of mental illness itself isn't something that's often talked about. So sometimes children may feel that they're not able to seek treatment until they're legal adults, or they feel as though they're not able to go to their parents Not for a lack of support on the parent side, but just because it's a foreign concept to them. But there are a lot of other struggles that children of immigrant parents face, whether it be financial barriers, cultural stigmas, things that we have to navigate in terms of the realities of racism. And even though each generation experiences discrimination differently, there is this very real generational and cultural gap that we ourselves are trying to mend between us being in this, and I'll speak from my own experience, in the United States and trying to grapple with that reality and that lived experience but then also trying to take the culture of my parents and keep that alive as well so it's like straddling a crack in the earth sometimes
0: no yeah I mean and I would say in addition to that I think I mean all young people I think it's a common uh feeling of of being misunderstood regarding our parents because Every generation feels that their parents don't understand them. The generation before you just doesn't get it. But on top of that layer of misunderstanding, I think children of Im- immigrants, those, the parents of those children have very defined expectations of success. Mm-hmm. And this can be kind of invalidating for young people who want to maybe pursue passion that is is not a doctor or a lawyer, that is kind of off, you know, to the left field, you know, people might put the pressure on their children to pursue those more stable and familiar careers because it brings a level of certainty of the success and their investment of moving to a whole new country. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: that internalized invalidation can turn into guilt for many young people. You know, there was a quote that we pulled from the article titled, The Struggles of the Lived Experience of Children of migrants one of the people who their first name was Sarah I think I don't know if they disclosed like their full identity on the article but they stated that whenever I searched for stories like mine I stumbled across stories of people who had the right to be depressed and she also continues to say, my experiences seem small compared to what my mother went through. But now I understand that they are valid in their own way. And so similar to what Sarah is expressing and feeling that she really cannot complain that her her struggles as a, a young adult or a teenager were worth kind of bringing forth or bringing to light because it was not valid in comparison to maybe the struggles of her her parents who had to come to the United States or come to the West. And I think that kind of puts you in a position as a young person to not express yourself as much, to hold in your your concerns, your worries, maybe even to not share what the things that you are very passionate about to your parents or your family. And Mm -hmm. so it can be isolating, but some pros and unique takeaways that migrant children benefit from is being bilingual or bilingual-ish, having exposure to those multiple languages, understanding the vastness of the world, and just having a cultural understanding that there's something outside of the home or culture that you exist in. And even having an instant connection with other children of immigrants, even though as Uh, Deja had put (laughs) in our notes that also means there is shared trauma if it's not like the best thing to like want to be like in fraternity you know with other people about but it still creates a a sense of unity and a sense of belonging in that experience of of being a migrant of especially in the United States like it's something that's common as you know for many many people and I think overall One of the biggest benefits is knowing that your parents did the best that they could with what they had and with the resources that they had around them, they put it to their best use. Absolutely.
1: And I think it's important to go back to what you're saying, even though there is kind of that connectedness amongst other children um, whose parents were immigrants like theirs that, oh yeah, my parents also had that same kind of pressure put on me or they wanted me to do well, or they wanted me me to excel, or they had like a very stringent uh, idea of what careers were acceptable. So even though there is that pressure that is placed on you, I think there's also like you said, a lot of beautiful things that come out of that experience because you get to understand the world in a completely different way. And so in wanting to unpack that a little bit further, we have brought on a beautiful guest. (laughs) I will let her introduce herself. So Cynthia, who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do?
2: thank you all so much for having me. <clears throat> I love this topic. Um, so funny, I was just talking about it last night with a neighbor of mine. Um, but hello, my name is Cynthia Moreno. Um, I am from Huntington Park, California, which, which is in the southeast, uh, southeast LA County, um, which is also heavily immigrant. So <laughs> I'll get into that. Um, but my parents are both from Mexico, uh, and they immigrated here at different the- my dad came in the 80s my mom actually came much much younger I think in 1970 and I am a data analyst at USC at a USC research center called the USC Equity Research Institute. Mm
1: -hmm. Awesome well thank you for sharing that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and you you did quickly kind of touch on the time when your parents came to the United States. Could you just add a little bit more about your family's like migration story or if there's anything that you know about their experience of moving to the United States.
2: Yeah, it's funny that you asked because I actually wanted to hear what y'all's story was. <laughs> at least in my family, um, it's not something we really talk about. Like I didn't um know about my dad's story until like I think in eleventh grade when we had to interview an immigrant. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that was Yeah. I'm like, okay, dad, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go interview him. Um and so yeah, I wonder what y'all's stories are gonna be like. But um yeah, so for my I'll start with my dad. He um, immigrated here when he was about 24. I remember this because when I turned 24, he's like, oh, that's when I crossed the border. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I think it was around 1980, and he came walking uh, through the desert with um, his, one of his brothers um, and some friends. And uh, that was a very <clears throat> typical, I guess, story for the time. Um, where he was able to, to get here and he lived here and documented for, I think, around seven or eight years. Um, and mm. yeah, so that was, that was a rough journey that he hasn't gone into detail with me on. But yeah. <laughs> he did tell me um, all he ate was oranges and peanut butter sandwiches for like the energy. That peanut butter wow. <laughs> um, But he made it, he made it here. And uh, he actually yeah. went straight to, I think it was South Carolina because there was work there isn't that crazy yeah he went to one of the Carolinas I could be yeah (laughs) Um,
0: but still you know like from there to here
2: yeah that's wow that's a huge deal yeah so I'm like you have to cross the entire U.S. too like on top of you know coming here from Mexico so yeah that was pretty wild but that's the extent of what I know about his story um and then how did um, your parents meet they met here in the in the mm-hmm. States uh, when they were older. They actually met at the restaurant that my dad owns
1: now. Oh Wow, that's amazing. You'll need to go to your dad's restaurant.
0: I
2: know.
1: I,
0: how have we known each other so long? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just need to pop up one day like on my own and just be like, I said I was going to be here like from years yeah, ago. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Totally that is good. so cool, though. I think that is mm-hmm. the... Uh, a beautiful struggle even though like I don't want to romanticize like that too much because obviously Mm -hmm. that comes with like a lot of other things but um that's amazing you know for sure
2: yeah Yeah, I mean I can't when he was telling me this I'm like oh my god so this is real you know these (laughs) are real um it's it's so different when you read about it you know
0: Um, yeah like to actually hear a person's story I think uh, like you like when you were mentioning like how you want to hear like from our families when you started talking about your dad my my dad until now he hasn't shared too much about his his you know experience of migrating here um like the most that I know about my my dad's story is that when like he was fighting in civil war in east africa Mm -hmm. and um he was a like a medic and so he was kind of like a nurse for for the military, and like he his wow. was kind of like patch people up and that kind of stuff. And he just like he says like he's seen like a lot of things. <laughs> so I'm pretty <laughs> sure. like he he's seen a lot of things, but um, I don't even know the exact year that my dad came to the US. I know for sure it had to be within the early 80s or late 70s, mm-hmm. but. Um, outside of that he does not talk about his his life too much and how he came to the United States and like that experience mm-hmm. but, like with my mom she was like way more open because like she just <laughs> you know raising me I'm like mom where'd you come from like what do you do like asking her so many questions and I know for her she left when she was 16 and at that age for her was when the wars first starting to like pop off and Mm -hmm. so she had to like first go leave my family's from um, Eritrea it's like a small East African country she left Eritrea she went to Sudan and then she worked as like a maid in Sudan for a year like maybe two to three years and then received a visa to move to the United States and moved with her first husband to dc lived there for a few years and then divorced him because he was crazy and then moved to the united states i mean sorry to california she was already in the united states to california and met my father there in california and Mm -hmm. so like they ended up meeting through mutual like family because they grew up in the same like village and i guess family kind of like hooked them up and they're like hey like this girl is from the same area as you y'all should like hang out and they would go on dates with like a somebody who's like supervising them on their dates
1: (laughs) that's so cool
0: yeah wow that's like the most i know basically when it comes to like how they they got here
1: yeah you told me that yesterday you were like yeah they're from the same village i was like oh my god so did they know each other like yeah where they got to united states
0: I, I know I was saying to Deja yesterday like my dad says he remembers my mom but my mom was like a little girl like was five or six and he was like maybe 10 years old 10 or 11 but they don't honestly know their actual age because like they didn't have like birth certificates they just like knew it was like like during the summer and what the sky looks like and how many <laughs> trees are around like that's how they remember well, their that. birthday yeah, yeah. that's so beautiful yeah so. What about you, Deja? How about your parents? How'd they get here? <laughs> <laughs> Let um, us know. Lay it on us. No, yeah,
1: no. Um. So for my dad, he came much later. I think. Well, not much later. He was in high school, or he. Okay, so this is what I understand, and I could be wrong. So, like the interweb, please correct me. But my dad immigrated to the United States from Jamaica, and at the time, he was like sixteen or seventeen. But in Jamaica, that was like when high school ended. So he was done with high school. But then when he had to come to the United States, he had to like redo his junior and senior year because we don't have that educational system in place. So he was like, <laughs> He's like I just did this. Why am I doing this again? Um, so he came, had to do high school. I think he like moved right to Brooklyn and then or Queens, like somewhere in New York City kind of area. And then my mom, she came to the United States from Trinidad. She was a girl. So she was like in her life. She was like maybe like five, six, seven, like very young when she came. But she kept going back and forth. Like she would come to the States for a summer, then go to Trinidad, then come to the States and go back to Trinidad. So back and forth. So she was like already pretty familiar. Yeah. So she is like, what What was it called? Like a half generation, like, oh, where yeah. it's like you are born in another country, but you come to your another country like what at a really young age and you stay there so it's not like a full first generation I don't really uh, understand how they designate this stuff um yeah. but she kept going back and forth and back and forth and then my parents actually ended up meeting in college because they both went to Binghamton University and my dad was like I think my dad is like four years older than my mom but she graduated high school early and went to college at 16 which like I could not but anyway. <laughs> Not genetic, that's fine. Um, so she went to college at 16. So they met there. So they have like that four year or whatever year age gap, but they're actually like they were in the same grade, I think, or like one year difference. Um, but it's really funny because my dad's last name is Collins, which is my last name, but my mom's maiden last name is Collis. So just like Collins without the N. So they're like, we know each other. <laughs> so it was really, really weird. Like it was just, so I guess that might have been like a talking point for them and they got married and had kids and the
2: rest is history your dad that was probably his opening line it's
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like weird to think of your parents as like like people who are in a relationship or like trying to flirt or get to know each other I'm like Uh, oh my dad
0: dad has no no swag
1: yeah you know I mean I'm like I don't I know how, watching. like,
0: I mean, it's, it's awesome. like they're lucky that there were like things set up in their culture to kind of set them up for certain things. It's like you had no social skills, dude. <laughs> I love my funny. father so much, but it's, it's, it's kinda, <laughs> hey, I do, but it's also kind of like, is what ah, it is. you know, <laughs> you know, people are <laughs> awkward, so- it's okay yeah I was just gonna say
2: that's so funny about your mom uh Deja because my mom was actually pretty similar she came here when she was three and yeah, yeah I didn't really like really mention it because her story is actually a lot shorter she flew here on- <laughs> yeah both of
1: my parents flew um, like there was no boat or anything involved yeah. they're like and here's a
2: ticket welcome to America yeah. it's it's wild just how probably like the time was probably easier maybe to like yeah. just hop on over but yeah it's also, I feel like it also speaks to like how different my mom's family was from my dad's family because Uh, they're like very white um whiter than (laughs) me for those who don't know who I am I'm very (laughs) (laughs) um and she blue eyes like you know like blonde-ish hair um and the first time that my grandma came to the U.S. I think she was coming to like scope it out I forgot I forgot the reason once she came by herself she dressed as a hippie and nobody asked her any questions she just came on a bus
1: oh what I'm not crazy your grandma That's
2: my favorite story yes my grandma by herself like sounds baby.
0: cool though like right? but she also but knew that she was able to just do that
2: exactly because yeah. she's also super fair skinned, had like beautiful green eyes so yeah but it's just so interesting and my mom is the same even though she's very tied to her culture like it's she grew up here so mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean
0: Thing. There, she knows how to navigate the country and like I mean like she fits the context in a certain way where like it's not like going to be as challenging for her compared to somebody who like physically represents what the st- stereotypical image of like mm-hmm. somebody who's from Mexico looks like or whatever mm-hmm. but that is so interesting yeah. so I mean, I Oh, sorry. What were you going to say, Daisha? No, no. I was just going to say it's so fun listening to everybody's stories. No, that's real. Like when I think of like my brother, I mean, yeah, my brother is more like your mom because he came here when he was two years old. Wow. So his whole life he was in the United States, but he was born in Sudan from my mom's first marriage. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, I don't think of my brother. It's like, like he, he <laughs> it, we always joke in our family because he out of all of us is the only one that actually doesn't have a passport like he doesn't have his his he was never naturalized up until Uh now but he is more american or western than my mother and my parents who got naturalized and they just like i don't know why they they just fucked up they fucked up for, for my brother they and it's just like his life is less harder because you know they they didn't understand that like they felt like if they went through that process it I guess po- passed down to him but he you know he grew up here his whole life he's like very American he's you know he has like a bunch of like I don't know DMX CDs in his like box of stuff from when he was a teenager so it's it's pretty funky how that works out um, I wanted to kind of move forward and kind of ask some more questions related to the articles that we referenced earlier also. Um, I I wanted to ask Cynthia, like, do you feel that there's ever been maybe a gap of understanding between your family and your culture and your life outside of your home?
2: Um, I... It's interesting because I grew up in a very like homogenous community where everybody was Mexican. If you weren't Mexican, you're Salvadorian. So I mean, even like the surrounding community that um, I grew up in was very similar to my family. Um, So growing up, I never felt that way. I felt like I went to school, people understood me, they understood my family, they understood like I dressed a certain way or couldn't go to a sleepover because nobody sleeps over anybody's house if you're uh, you're from where I'm from you know so like all those things were like very understood and it was like in our own little like I guess like small I don't know we just like all understood each other we um it wasn't like a close-knit community but it was you know we know who we are and like what we're about um so it wasn't until I it wasn't until like I went to college that it was like such a huge like wow I knew that people didn't like live like me or have families like mine but it was such a shock to like actually then be in a world where my type of familiar familial system and customs were not the norm or like weren't shared by other people like most other people um so growing up i feel like i was really lucky because of where i grew up um yeah but had i grown up like somewhere else in la where or in, you know like was, ohio yeah <laughs> like yeah. somewhere random it's south carolina and my dad says yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know so i that would have been you know super different i think i would have had a lot more struggles like going home and just having my home life be super s- separate and different from like my friends and like my life outside the home um
1: so yeah yeah that was really nice my- so Ida do you like what I guess was your kind of family and culture inside the home versus outside the home was there a big difference or was it kind of like Cynthia's experience We were like honestly my first time really feeling that
0: cultural shift was in college oh no like I was like well aware of like how different <laughs> I was I mean it was also like there are a lot of East African people in Los Angeles but I grew up in Pasadena and in that part of like Los Angeles it's like we knew all five like East African families that lived in this part of town. Like we like literally saw each other from like three blocks away. We would be like, "Oh my goodness. Like you're here. Can we please <laughs> talk to each other?" Isn't it weird how like everyone like really likes to skateboard? That's something that like <laughs> our parents don't let us do. I mean, it wasn't honestly like I just accepted that as like a normal experience for like so much of my life just because I mean those were the conditions that I existed in. it was just my my home was very like conservative and religious and had like all of these like traditional practices that like were so unfamiliar for for from people like that I went to school with Mm -hmm. and um like, the high school that I went to, it was not, like, the, the university that, like, we all went to, obviously, because there there weren't, like, that many white people, but it was, like, because, you know, I was in Southern California, I was, like, 80%, like, uh, Latino identifying students, and then I think um, after that, the next majority was, like, Asian, like, East Asian, and then after that, it was, like, literally, I think black and white people were, like, equal amounts at that school and um it was kind of like we I also like I think I fit more into the context of being like amongst like black American youth and I kind of learned to adopt that like kind of identity outside of the home because Mm -hmm. there weren't as many like East African teenagers that I hung out with outside of like my family and that so I think it became kind of normal to kind of like go back and forth between those identities I think in college it was like even more you know it it was exacerbated just because it was like I mean it was just kind of an extension of high school but there was like even way less people of color and like we all clung to each other even though like we're all from like literally random ass places Mm
1: -hmm. so
0: yeah I mean I think it, it definitely like when I think of like my parents my mom and even my dad like their understanding they they had such a negative understanding of uh, black American culture they migrated mm-hmm. to the United States in the 80s during like the height of the uh, crack pandemic or epidemic I don't know whatever people called it in the 80s like and so like you know the things that were happening with more more stricter like laws law enforcement at that time there was just like you know red lighting was crazy at that time when it came to like you know people and and that's another thing like my parents they were dealing with racism and segregation that was subtle but like still violent and they were raising black children in the United States but they didn't have the understanding or the tools or the history to know like Mm -hmm. how to really like go through it so there was a lot of things I think like my siblings and I had to figure out through through our friendships with people outside of our home but yeah I think that it's it's not uncommon to be honest for for a lot of people if if they end up in like my situation where they're not like in a community that is representative of their native culture outside of our native country
1: that's just so weird to like come to a place with the hopes and ideas of building a better life for you and your family and then be plopped into the united states with lack of like contextual understanding of racism at the time and what's going on and you're like wait what is happening right now so that must have been extremely hard because they're like we are just got here like I'm very confused why you're putting all of these racial biases and prejudices on us like we don't even know what you're talking about we have no idea of the actual like foundational understanding of where this is coming from
0: right and it's like they are coming from also a country where everyone literally looks like them exactly the biggest thing that I guess they could connect to some of these structural like isms we have in the U.S. is classism like classism exists like everywhere yeah I mean for them it's like if you had money it was like uh what you know that's the only reason why like people should treat each other differently which is also fucked up but like they also were like oh why can't I buy a house in this part of town like why won't they sell to me they never figured that out until like maybe years of processing and then like understanding like oh like yeah like we dealt with discrimination but it was like they at the time maybe didn't know as it was happening to them like what it was so Mm -hmm. it's just yeah I feel like I don't know I think people just learn to navigate the space as they go because it's something that's new it's not like they could have gone to their family and been like okay, like, what can we do now that we move to the United States? Like, what's the next step? Because it's just there. A lot of firsts for them. Exactly. Which is,
1: like, I think there's so much, and I think that goes back to, like, what we were saying before, like, the strength of knowing that your parents did the best they could with what they had at the time, because that must be incredibly challenging to be the person where you're experiencing all the first, but you have no tools or resources to, like, grab from. You can't ask, like you were saying, like, oh, mom, what about this? What about this? And they're looking at you like, girl, I don't know. Like, (laughs) i the United States. Like, you gotta figure that out on your own. So, I mean, in terms of my life at home and my life outside of home, I grew up in like a very predominant and I feel like I've said this in previous episodes, but I grew up in a very predominantly white town. So like going to Buck like was it culture shock? Yes, because of just like the vast amount of people, but it was pretty reminiscent of the town that I grew up in. So there was like a very different shift between life at home and life like in school when we had like as soon as I left the doors at like the front door of my house was like and this is a happy-go-lucky deja (laughs) (laughs) who has to put on this persona of being just a like very cheery very kind cordial person um but even in terms of just like cultural things like food you know like my parents would cook oxtail and curry goat and roti and all these things and if I brought it to lunch for school people would be like what is that like what is going on so I'm sure you guys
0: have had that same experience too where people are like what is, what is that oh girl I was smelling like onions every single day
2: in <laughs> high school
0: like my mom's like, and my family I love her. your
2: right? I love how your house smells Ida like, <laughs> there's some food there's food in here and-
0: yeah there's yes and like <laughs> people like honestly through all of high school until maybe senior year, I did not know that I smelled like my house until like one day one of my friends was like Ida you always smell so good like you know that like you have good food at home. And I was like, wait, it's not perfume? You smell onion? And <laughs> the like,
1: seasoning yeah. stuck to your clothes. Like yes. that,
0: oh, that sweet
1: smell of cumin and curry. Exactly.
0: <laughs> like, but no, it's real. Oh,
1: wow. But I know Cynthia, you were gonna say something. I'm so sorry. I read,
2: were you gonna say something? I don't remember. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot. Oh, 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 I remember now. I don't know if it's important, but. um when you were saying, Ida, about, like, the fact that in some areas of LA, like, people refusing to sell homes to your parents, I feel like that's the reason why, or that's probably a contributing reason why then, like, enclaves happen of, like, Mm. communities like mine, where there's, like, there was probably nowhere else for them to go, and they didn't want to go anywhere else, because, like, they knew they could buy a house there, they knew, like, they would have their grocery stores with all their meat, and all their chilies and all the you know all the things that they weren't going to be able to find in a nicer place in LA so I feel like it's kind of like a it's like a cycle that it's like well this is where this is the only place I can buy a house and like I don't want to live anywhere else like why you know my dad never learned how to speak English so like he had to be in a community where he could freely speak Spanish and actually get by so I feel like that no, yeah. that's like one coping or survival mechanism that immigrants have like come up with at least in places like at least in Los Angeles. I'm sure in other places too where it's like we're gonna stay over here and it's gonna be fine and no one's gonna bother us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And i comes.
0: Yes, and I think like there is although like unfortunately, obviously places that are kind of like those enclaves that you're mentioning. They're they're taken advantage of they're police more they're regulated more there's there's you know all these other things that like go on in those areas mm-hmm. but the sense of community and I I think cultural security that um you have by growing up around people who sh- who share that culture experience who share that heritage I think it's it's overlooked and I and I feel like um I mean I'm I don't want to like overly ro- romanticize like you know growing up in south central or growing up in like other parts of town because it's like yeah there's there's pros and cons to everything I think like either way you're sacrificing one or the other thing like uh, especially if you are coming to the United States and you have a general knowledge of like how things work like there are there are ghettos and there are like Mm -hmm. uppity-ass neighborhoods and some are less diverse than others and you decide like what I mean even if you're not fully conscious of the sacrifices like you 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 gain and lose things depending on where you choose to settle and so Mm -hmm. i definitely a hundred percent like love the fact that like i am more aware of that in my late 20s because i feel at least now i'm in a position of like you know my parents, unfortunately, maybe didn't have all of the tools and resources to decide you know, where they wanted to live and how it would impact their children and all those other things. Mm-hmm. But I feel like more empowered knowing this information for like in the future, if I am ever in a position where I'm having a family, like I can be a little bit more picky about like where I choose mm-hmm. to, to do that and like be conscious of like what kind of culture And people that I want, like my family, to be surrounded by, because I think it's a blessing, girl Cynthia, like for you to be like. I mean, like in Southern California of all their places, you know. I think that's a huge (laughs) deal.
1: No, that's beautiful to be able to be intentional about where you choose to settle, because I think like a lot of parents, especially immigrants, come to the United States and either have certain experiences that dictate where they're going to choose to settle down especially if they don't have a family yet like you were saying I did they're like okay well I came to United States I experienced this in this community so maybe I need to live here maybe I need to live here like I know specifically for my parents, they both had come to United States and settled like in the Brooklyn, Queens kind of area. And when more members of their family came, they were just seeing things specifically happening and targeting Black Americans. And they were like, yeah, I don't want this (laughs) for my kids because they didn't have kids yet, obviously. And so after they met and whatever, they chose to move to a predominantly white neighborhood specifically because they were like, I want my children to have a better chance of X, Y, Z. So they're like, okay, well, this neighborhood has a better schooling system or this. And so while, like you said, there are pros to it because maybe you get a better education or maybe you have better X, Y, Z when you're the only in a very homogenous town that also comes with subtle racism and prejudice and bias and not really understanding like well why are people treating me this way because like you're a kid you don't know why people are looking at you different or treating you a certain way in a classroom you just chalk it up to like, oh maybe
0: they just don't like
1: me and it's like well (laughs) maybe that's it but there are also some subtle undertones so It's there are pros and cons to every situation. And at the end of the day, your parents make the sacrifice and stuff. But I did really quickly want to ask, though, in terms of mental health, because that's one of the things we brought up earlier and a very common struggle that we saw across a lot of the articles that we were looking at and researching that mental health was almost like a very taboo topic in a lot of immigrant households. And I just wanted to know if either of you guys have experienced that yourselves, or if you're like, Nope, it was totally fine. I could have these open, honest conversations. And this
2: wasn't it. Yeah. Well, definitely not that last part, (laughs) (laughs) but um, for me and my family, it's so interesting because I mean, no one ever talked about it growing up, didn't know what mental health was, therapy, or any kind of, like, asking for help. None of that, you know, even though, like, there were definite issues growing up in my family. Um, but, you know, we we get through it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until... It's so interesting because it was, we didn't like really start talking about any kind of mental health and mental illness in our family until my grandma started uh, getting chemotherapy for lung cancer, and mm-hmm. it made her very depressed, and she was like very vocal about it. This was like a few years ago, I would think, and that was like our gateway into talking about it more because someone so important in our family was clearly going through it, mm-hmm. and it was also tied to physical health. So I think that kind of made it easier too. the fact that like, Oh, she's getting this chemotherapy and that's affecting her. That's There's why, something yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with her. Like naturally it's this, you know, chemical <laughs> that or uh, yeah. Chemical, whatever it is. I don't know a, maybe, you know, data. It's making her feel this way. Um, so we, need to get her help um and you know we figured out what was best for her but that was kind of our entry point and then like ever since then we've talked about it in terms of like other family members who struggle with substance abuse that of course is often very tied to um mental health issues and so yeah I think um it's a little bit it's actually a lot more common for us to talk about it now and like um like I go to therapy and my family knows about it my little sister was actually probably one of the she was probably the first one in our family to just go to regular counseling just because she wanted it I Um, did not know that yeah in school yeah when she that's great look at this younger generation just doing the damn thing (laughs) yeah I'm pretty sure she yeah she went to counseling like before I started therapy which was like Two and a half years ago. I'm pretty sure she she went first. So she's a trendsetter, Um, (laughs) trailblazer, all that. And, but yeah, so it's interesting because it was definitely through that like physical health, physical, something was wrong with my grandma that then affected her mental health that like opened the floodgates for us. That is so powerful. Like that,
1: like the matriarch, you know, of your family, like once it started happening to her, then people were like, I guess we can talk about this. That's great. So did you have kind of similar experiences like that, Ida, with your family and talking about mental health and opening up? Did it kind of take like one pivotal person to be the leader in this march towards being more open for your family and talking about these issues?
0: Um, I would say to be 100% honest, I, my, my younger sister also was very, even though she never outright said anything to like my, my family, because my mother and my like adult like family members i never heard them talking about like their peer counseling i think like even if i'm pretty sure in our life there were probably experiences they've had with counseling but they never mentioned it to us or talked to me and my sister about it growing up mm-hmm. and um my younger sister like i think was one of the first people to be more open about it at least with me and like people of my generation and younger than me and my family and I think like seeing her kind of like become a little bit more open and be very eloquent with her language around mental health and in a way like she understood shit that I was like bitch I didn't even think about that before <laughs> like she's like making these connections and I was like oh my goodness maybe something's wrong with me too like I should go and um honestly like I'm I'm I do not about Cynthia on blast but like Cynthia and I like maybe a year ago you started telling me about your experience with like therapy and counseling and then I started looking after you told me and then um it, it's honestly yeah it's only been like for me I started maybe yeah like last summer I, I don't know how many months it's been maybe last summer August like literally maybe um almost month. a year oh my god it's almost been a year but um that was like when I first actually really trying like I think there was before that one time in at Bucknell when I went like the first or second week of school and I busted in the counseling office like crying to this woman and I never went back again because I was just like I don't even know how this works and I it was like some white lady who was like scared of me because I like r- cried to her randomly about like all my problems I'm like I don't know can you help me with all these things I don't just that was happening um and then, the counselor
1: she should have known what to do, yeah.
0: <laughs> she, what to do in she, really she was like what's your diet what are you eating and I was like bitch like what? what are you doing and so like I definitely just was like I'm never coming back here again yeah. and I'd never went back there again like honestly but um no, and I think, like, more now, like, honestly, it's been very new. Like, it's a very new, new chapter in our family's life where I think my sister and I have been more open about it with, like, at least our female, like, cousins and stuff. Like, we talk with them about it. And with our younger cousins, we we share with them and, like, we at least, like, try to be, like, because I'm pretty sure there's so many things that, like, they experience that they feel like they can't be really open about with their their parents or adult family members and we like try to reassure them and tell them like honestly if there's anything you need if you want to talk about anything like come to us don't don't worry about all that so um we like have suggested it to a lot of people it's something that's really new it's like we're starting like within the I think the past year or two but um when it comes to like my my mom like she she does not go to therapy she's like church she like tied this cross around my neck when I came back home a month or two ago in the middle of my sleep and she was like this will protect you from your nightmares and I'm like no bitch I have trauma I I need to go to talk about my problems but like I'll wear it to appease you because I'm not paying rent so I'm gonna let you like put this on my neck but um no yeah it's been fun it's been a fun all time growing learning and growing your counseling that's good I'm glad you've been able to go and explore that. I yeah. mean,
1: I I feel like my mom kind of like shared the same sentiment as your mom like church you know prayed away type stuff but this was like years ago because I remember I first wanted to go to therapy I must have been like my senior year of high school or like freshman year of college because I was going through it and that's conversation for another episode but I I think I like wanted to go but I was scared to tell my parents but I knew like something was happening like it's so weird and I know this episode is not on mental health but when I was in college like I literally felt myself changing like and I don't think that it happens as clearly for a lot of people when they're like going through anxiety or depression or whatever but I could literally feel something happening and I didn't know how to describe it so I just was like going around to my friends like something's changing something's happening I'm like are you sick are you I was like no something's wrong but I didn't know I didn't know what it was my parents had never really talked about mental health or mental illness before like never in a sense of like, yes, go to these people. These people will help you. It's more like, well, what do you, what, what advice do you need from them? I'll, I'll tell you what to do. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to open up to y'all. Um, and so I think the first time I went to therapy was like you, Ida, when I was at fuck now, at college. And I remember it was like three sessions. And the only thing we did was breathe. I didn't talk. I didn't d- br- just breathe. And while some people might be like, well, Tayshia, that's great. You know, meditation. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not what I needed. I needed I someone in to my bedroom by be like, myself. Exactly. Like I can do that with the app. Like I don't need somebody to sit there and now we're going to just inhale for 10, hold it, hold it, exhale, And then she'd be like, I'll see you next week. And I'm like, for what? Like, I could genuinely do this on my own. And so the first time I ever went to, like, real, real therapy was actually when I went abroad to England for my master's program. Because it was free. Because NHS, just beautiful system. (laughs) And I remember going, and the first meeting with this woman I just cried and I think it was because of all of these years of just holding on to like trauma and not knowing how to process it or talk about it or being like mismanaged and just like crying and she's like and our time is up next time let's unpack that (laughs) it is just really funny that you guys talk about mental health like that because I think we all kind of share the same sentiment that our parents never really spoke about it or spoke about it in like a free manner that it was it felt like you could talk about it and you were comfortable navigating it it felt like you kind of had to navigate it for yourself so it's just it's so funny but honestly this is so weird but it kind of makes me think of like how or did you guys kind of have your dating life impacted by your native culture like were you guys were your parents very much because I know my parents were very much like you can't talk about this you can't talk about this you can't do this 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 and that even in, in kind of rolled over into like who you can and can't date or who you should and shouldn't be pursuing for family and marriage and now they're a lot more lenient just because like I'm of the age to like get into these things but I have absolutely no desire but did you guys like did your parents have these kind of conversations about who they expected to see you with or did they want you to get with people who are share that same cultural background and stuff of you guys
2: uh <laughs> Uh, my family is so funny uh, yeah they didn't want me to date anybody growing up they're like no that's not happening we're not doing that <laughs> blah 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 and then all of a sudden there was just like a switch where I was talking to my dad I think I was like 22 I was in Seattle I was like out on the streets just talking to him and he's like when are you going to have a kid <gasps> I think you're old now <laughs> and i'm like i didn't i didn't even have a boyfriend at the time or any kind of partner and i'm like where is this we've literally never talked about any kind of partner situation ever in my life and now you're asking me when i'm
0: gonna have a kid like that what is happening what's why are we i did not through- know like he started asking you that like when you were 22 like r- r- like and wow. when you started like grad school and stuff
2: <laughs> when are you gonna have a kid <laughs> it's like yeah oh. and that was the other thing. I'm like, I'm in the middle of grad school. Like I'm not, and that's what he, That and I, I said that. And he was like, Oh, you're right. Yeah. After you graduate, you'll, that's still a good time. And I'm like, <laughs> with who, who are we talking ta- <laughs> person? And I think it was just like my age that he was just starting to think about it more. I don't know. And like my older sister has kids and she like started having kids very, I think like 19 was her first mm. child. Um, was a little too young for my dad but um i think he was just like i don't know like just thinking about me and my little sister and like like thinking about like oh 22 23 like that's a good time like for for babies to come and i'm like well we've never even talked about relationships like this is i it was just i was so caught off guard by him yeah, because yeah, it's that, not like that, you
0: grew up with, like, getting dating advice from your dad your whole life. Yeah. Or, mom, or, or dating
1: advice at all. Like, I don't know about y'all, but my parents were like, you don't need boyfriends. You can have yeah. boys that are friends. But you can't. I was like, what? 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, until you graduate. Until you're done
2: with your school. Yeah, they're like, you,
1: you, yeah you can't date until, like, you're 18. And then every year just kept getting
2: higher Always. and higher. <laughs> yep. hmm hmm Yep. And then at some point, they're just like, oh, my God. Like,
1: we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's the same thing that happened. Like, it was so weird. It was honestly like a switch. Because my parents, my entire life were like, you don't need a boyfriend. But, like, my parents never talked about it, never condoned it, nothing. And then only recently have has my mom been like, Deja, Deja, did you see him? He's cute. He's cute. You just ask." I'm like, whoa, what? When did this change? Like,
0: you know, you're getting older. I'm like, I'm 26 on a good day. Relax. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I, I'm always like if anybody younger me like starts to get pregnant then I'll like maybe start like maybe putting some fire under my ass but like so far it's just a, like my, my family like constantly like since moving back home um, in March I mean like they've always been giving me a hard time since I was like maybe 25 was when it started when they were just like asking more like oh are you dating are you doing this and that and i was like motherfuckers like you told me like i was not allowed to like do any of that shit and now exactly you're so like excited. and now you're
2: rushing me Exactly. Like,
0: yeah so rude no it is really rude but um every fucking day in this house i hope they listen to this podcast <laughs> because i want them to know it's not fun every fucking day being reminded of being fucking lonely okay <laughs> no but um, no, I know I'm so dramatic no but they do like definitely like my aunt especially because I have aunts that live next door oh my mm. god I love them so much but they'll be like um randomly like we'll, we're all eating together and then all of a sudden one of them will tap my belly they're like we need one to come soon and I'm like bitch we're eating dinner we're eating oh. like don't fucking I'm vulnerable right now like I'm bloated <laughs> Don't do that. But um, oh my god, they like really want me to like get on it, and it's just, oh, you know, it's not subtle. It's not subtle at all. I'm just like, hey, get it. I know what you want. I'm not there, but good, good. I'll take into consideration. I appreciate the feedback. But um, I'm not. Has nothing to do with them. You know, like I, I can't like you know, all of a sudden just. Figure out like oh yeah like it's like as if getting a baby is like getting a degree it's like there are like clear steps you have to like benchmark yeah it's like well, look, there's
1: it's like now that you've
0: graduated here, like <laughs> want to just pregnant you know so definitely doesn't help my mental health <laughs> exactly yeah not at all. Yeah. But
1: have your parents, like, have either of your parents, when they did start saying, like, oh, you know, we want you to get into a relationship, when are you going to start having kids, have they been intentional about, like, who they want you to be with, like, in terms of cultural, like, oh, I want you to marry someone who also shares the same cultural background as you, or are they kind of like, look, girl, anyone will do, like, <laughs> at this <laughs> point, we just
0: need something from you. I think when I was younger, oh, sorry, go ahead, Cynthia. Oh, no, it's okay, you can do it. No, like, when I was younger, there was... What I uh, was not aware of, but quickly became aware of when I like was a senior in high school, like I, I asked a boy to prom that I really liked, and he said yes, and I was so excited, and I told my mom about it and she said no because he was too dark. She didn't like him also because he wasn't East African. And I was oh, like, bitch. so she was basically like, You can't go to prom if you take that person. And I had to go back and tell this man, and I have like uh so much guilt about this until today, because he was a wonderful young man at the time, and I hope he's okay. I don't know what his life looks like anymore. But I was like, I can't go to prom with you, and he was so hurt. And at, at mm-hmm. the time, I didn't even process like that is discriminatory and that is fucking racist. And in my mind as a young person, I was just like, I just have to do what my mom says so I can go to prom. Mm-hmm. And it was like completely cutting out that, that entire interaction of like how that other person felt and all this other stuff. But like I just like say that to like um, they definitely when as a teenager – were pushing a certain uh obviously a certain like idea of what kind of like man or partner i should be pursuing mm-hmm. um and it was like i definitely never challenged that until maybe i left home and i think um um it was way more pressure especially when i was younger for me to try to date in our culture even though i was never allowed to date which made no sense like they were <laughs> like you can only be like with people from our country but also like you can't have a boyfriend so it's like I don't know what it's like then but um as I've gotten older if I'm being 100% honest they're just like please hurry the fuck up like we don't care where you find the place like they just want me to to figure that out And I'm just like um sorry (laughs) it's hot girl summer so I'm gonna do whatever I want but um yeah yeah I think it is just like a weird thing that they have to like deal with but I don't know. That's my two cents. My two cents. Anything? Anything else, Cynthia? You have anything you want to add? Um, I guess just like can your background noise? All right, another. Yeah, sometimes I was whistling. Yeah.
2: It's okay.
0: It's we like can cu- we can cut it out. It's
1: like a fun show. We can cut that
0: out. <laughs> maybe it's the puppy. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Um. What I gonna say?
2: Yeah. So kind of like on the flip side of what Ida was talking about um about like who not to date right Mm -hmm. like my family definitely had opinions as well um but we never talked about like who I really couldn't date I just kind of it's like my experience recently in the last few years has been like that they are very very happy that I'm with a white man um but uh oh like Maybe not like very very happy, but they're like, oh, this they're is they're good. challenging it, yeah. Yeah, they're like, yeah. okay, like we like this, we're gonna, this is good. Um, so you know, there's definitely some fucked up shit all rolled up in that. Um, a lot of you know colorist ideals that mm-hmm. we're trying to uphold. Um, um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, but then also oh my god oh so like but culturally it's still Mm -hmm. there's still like a gap there um like my parents want him to speak Spanish and he's trying um but you know there is that like um like that's the one thing because there are people in my family who don't speak English they like can understand it and like can get along um fine but um but they you know like they want to really have like my dad has told me like over there like I want to like have more conversations with him you know like i don't Aww. every time like they have the same conversation <laughs> which is just like hi how hi are how you? are you hi. yeah, yeah <laughs> place, <laughs> like they have that conversation down um but it's the same what every single time so <laughs> oh my God so yeah I mean it's sweet like that my parents really want to get to know and my mom speaks English so like they know each other well but um yeah same with my grandma she's like you need to teach him English and I'm like well I'm not an English teacher so he needs to figure that out on his own um <laughs> but or teach him Spanish sorry um but again I'm not a teacher so he needs yeah. to figure yeah. out on his own. um but yeah so culturally there's a gap but um in terms of who he is there's I love how tall he is how white he is how uh blue eyes he is um and yeah there's definitely uh like my grandma I was just talking about this last night with my neighbor because she's Filipina so we just had a lot to a lot of shared trauma Uh (laughs) as Deja brought up earlier um just about like wanting you know beautiful light-skinned babies with Mm. blue eyes hopefully and like my grandma like for sure, outright said one day, like, oh, like Michael has uh blue eyes, like hopefully your baby has blue eyes. Um, because my mom does too. And she's like, Oh, you're for sure, you're good.
0: You're sick. Wow. Mm-hmm. My mom has literally like shown me videos of like I don't know how she finds this stuff, but, like these <laughs> East African YouTubers who date like white Australian men. And she's like, Look, Ida, like you could do this too, like trying to get me to like date a white man so my babies are lighter. Because, like, I am, like, the, out of my my media family, I'm, like, the, the darkest person. And mm-hmm. I think there's, like, some, like, she has a fear, I think, of, like, my kids being even darker. And mm-hmm. I'm just, like, look, lady, like, uh, you don't know what you're talking about, but I still love you. Oh, but, it's um, so sad,
1: but it's understandable, you know, like, especially with all of the events that have happened this week in and of itself. And it's, like, mm-hmm. that's a real fear that your family has of how the world Old, how the world is just so racist <laughs> and so they're like what can we do to ease that burden for you so they want you to like have kids who are lighter so you don't have to go through these issues but it's also like you and Cynthia were saying there's a lot of like color is problematic undertones to it but it's coming from a place of like I don't want to have to like I love you and I don't want you to have to go through something challenging because of however your child looks and the way that society is going to perceive that which is so sad but understandable do
2: your parents have your
1: parents given you any preferences Um, honestly no like they've just been like don't date nobody (laughs) like it wasn't like oh you can only date jamaicans you can only it was just like no i don't care who they are no no like just (laughs) no like it was if there wasn't like you can only it just no you're good you don't need anybody you could be happy by yourself and now that I'm happy by myself they're like but do you really like being by yourself I'm like wait a minute but yeah no my parents have never had a particular preference they're just like we just want you to be accomplished like I remember my parents saying like you know degrees will keep you warm at night like go pursue your education (laughs) and I was like okay what so yeah, I mean, I guess I'm lucky in a sense that they were never like, yeah, you have to be with this person. They were like, no, we want you to be alone forever until recently.
0: <laughs> yeah. Until like all of a sudden it's time to make babies. Like Deja, your TikTok, you're not going to be <laughs> young forever. Right. I was like, okay. But Cynthia, you said something earlier, about your partner and the language barrier between your family. I like wanted to know about like your experience with like your native language and like was it something you were always comfortable with like growing up and like how has like your you know language that your family and you speak at home like maybe changed or have has been impacted over time depending on like the places you've lived and like maybe the closeness or distance that you've had from your family mm. if that makes sense
2: yeah, it totally
0: makes sense because
2: my Spanish definitely got a little weird after going to Bucknell um, and just not using it as much. But yeah, we grew up. Um, I'm I'm like super grateful that my family um, taught us Spanish. I mean, my dad had no choice. He did not speak English. Same with my grandma, um, who's my mom's mom. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it probably was my first language. Uh, I don't really remember, but um, I would imagine it was my first language because of having to communicate with my dad and my grandma who was really close to us I um, still live. Um, so yeah, it was very much encouraged. It was never really a question. Even like, like I mentioned earlier in our community, like the schools, like we said the Pledge of Allegiance in Spanish.
1: wow Wow. that's great
2: wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it was a very like bilingual or like a spanglish school you know very the teachers you know were often latino too a lot of them were white like
0: elementary school yeah Mm -hmm. girl this was happening in your schools in the 90s yes or like 2000 Mm
2: -hmm. wow Wow, that's that's great Yeah, that's just what it was. I mean, because everybody, there were kids who, like, didn't really know uh, English or, Mm, like, mm. you know, like, it was just, like, so normal um, for us to, like, go back and forth. And so, yeah, it was super encouraged. It was never, like, something that was weird. Um, But I grew up, I don't know if for y'all it's the same thing, but (laughs) I'm definitely part of the generation of, like, uh, kids who, like, were talked to in Spanish, and then I respond in English, <laughs> like, that's where I got to, like, around middle school, um, just because it was easier to just, like, always talking because I knew, they always understood English, you know, for the most part, or not always, but, like, by the time I grew up, um, and... Um, so I think because of that and then going away for six years, um, and not talking to them as often, um, my Spanish definitely got a little wonky (laughs) then. Yeah. So that's something I'm trying to fix now, but I mean, I'm still like super grateful that it was just a part of my upbringing. I don't think I knew anyone who didn't know Spanish growing up.
0: Oh, that's, that is so cool though. That's beautiful. Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, I wish,
2: that's amazing. Yeah, I know that's not the case for a lot of people.
0: Oh, girl, yeah, hello. I mean, like, yeah. my native language was not Spanish, but also, like, um, I mean, similar to the experience of, like, my mom, especially when we were younger, like, really young, she would speak to us in Tigrinya in our native language, Mm -hmm. but we still spoke back to her in English. And then after a certain point, she only spoke to us in English. And like as we got older, she revealed that like she was worried about like us not performing well academically because Mm -hmm. she didn't want to confuse us with two languages in the home because I don't know where she was being taught that was the case. Maybe when she was like taking ESL classes when she first like moved to California or something, maybe she picked that idea up somewhere. But um, it definitely created like there's a huge group of kids who are my age. And, like, we all, like, we all understand our family when they're talking shit about us. But, like, (laughs) we can't, like, hold, like, a conversation. But, sorry. But, yeah, a lot of the kids who are our age, we struggle when it comes to, like, communicating in our native language. But, like, the kids who, like, born from the same, like, parents, but, like, maybe 10 years older than us were basically migrated – or migrating with our parents when they first moved here. But as young children, they like were the ones who kind of like carried like the culture and the language and stuff. But now I'm seeing like their children who are like 10 to 15 years younger than like me are kind of like experiencing an extension of like what like the kids my age experience where like they they don't speak their native language at home at all. Like they speak English with their parents. Cause their parents grew up in America. So it's like for them it's a lot easier Mm
2: -hmm. but
0: um i don't know i don't feel like it takes a lot away because i can't hide my face like you know i look so east african like, people walk up to me and fucking know, and I'm just like, yes, like, <laughs> my parents are from there. I'm from there. We grew up here, though. But, you know, it's like, there are, there are parts that are obviously, like, going to be, like, missing, and there's misunderstanding always, but, yeah, like, language was always something that was so finicky and weird at home. I don't know. How about you, Deja?
1: Um, honestly, it's weird, because, like, Caribbean dialect is really just, like, patois, which is, like, a form of broken English. And I, my, both my parents speak it, like, but Jamaican Patois is a little bit different than like Trinidadian. And it all comes with this very kind of, different accent but I couldn't understand a lick like I remember when I was younger my grandma would be talking to me like my dad's mom and I'd be like mm-hmm. <laughs> and she could really be like stupid child get out of my way and I'm like you're right grandma because I had no idea what she was saying like not a clue but I also was like oh I'm sure like if I just be around her enough I'll learn but my parents didn't teach um but I would love to learn like I really want to learn just because my dad will be talking to us and then on the phone he'll be talking to his brother he's like yeah what and I'm just like what just happened or like uh-huh. same thing with my mom I'm like oh yeah haha and she picked up the phone and it's like a totally different thing and I want to understand it even if it's like not nice things I just feel like it's a part of my culture and I want when I have kids in the far future I want them like I want to be able to share with them I don't want to be like removed from that um and I I don't know it's just like I think it's like you cherish these things when you're older because when you're younger I'm sure my parents probably maybe tried to make an attempt or like my grandma made an attempt and I was like ah eh, don't have the time and now that I'm older and I'm like I, I don't want to lose that and that's typically I presume what happens as generations and generations and generations go forward each generation loses the language little by little by little and I want to try to reclaim that so if anyone is teaching I mean I've even did I've even done it with my dad like sometimes I'll like see him and I'm like okay let's sit down let's read this sentence and now, how would you say that <laughs> so Aww. it's kind of
0: funny I think that's a beautiful thing yeah my parents don't mm-hmm. have the patience I've I've like, <laughs> thought about um, when I go to DC because that uh George Washington is in DC like George Washington University is where I'm gonna end up moving which has a large population of East African people. I'm hoping that they have courses in like um, Ethiopian and Eritrean native languages for me to take, because okay. I feel like that that will be like my last chance because it's such a small population of people that actually speak that language. And it's really hard yeah. to find even like private tutoring and stuff, but yeah. um I think like also my motivation as a young person, I was not as interested in like learning because mm-hmm. it wasn't like the pressure to learn wasn't put upon me. And on top of that, I was just like, whatever, like I just want to go to my friend's house after school. Yeah, <laughs> I was just wanting to be a kid. So I think like as I got as I've grown older, I, I think like my desire to be closer to like my heritage and stuff is like more innate and like something that I'm like more drawn to but um I don't know what that will be like when I got kids we'll see we'll see how it turns out the show but um I also like wanted to ask like for for all of us like what our experiences have been like navigating switching between maybe I guess we kind of already talked about like like switching between like English in particular, and um, the native language, but I think an extension of that, like, has there ever been any feelings of uh, isolation or rejection or not being like fully, uh, fully like Mexican, fully Caribbean or East African for me? Um, whether it's because of like your language isn't a hundred percent on point or other mm-hmm. parts of your identity that doesn't a hundred percent fit into. Into that box. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I feel like I don't, I mean, I don't want to speak for all children of immigrants because I can't, but mm-hmm. for myself, I think that there's definitely a disconnect just because a lot of what I'm learning about my heritage and my culture is through like stories, you know, it's not like a lived experience. So there definitely feels like a disconnect when it comes because I don't know it or like certain things that like think of stereotypes, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes that come with different cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds, and I don't fit into a lot of them because I don't know the language or because I can't cook a certain meal or just certain things that they have on people that makes me feel a bit disconnected. And also just growing up in America, there's so much assimilation that you do in order to fit in and live the life that you would like to live um, that I don't know if this even answers your question, but yes, like I feel like there's oh, yeah. Here. I think
0: what you think yeah. about um I mean like definitely like having a hundred percent knowledge of like how to cook every single dish or just like little, I think, cultural I guess markers. Too. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. Cynthia you're just like nope. <laughs> 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 She's like, I, I I feel for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh
2: I feel like my answer is a little um political but <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah there's been times where I mean especially being at Bucknell and just like white spaces after that too like Seattle mm-hmm. um every time I would disclose that I'm Mexican people would be like oh but you don't look like, you don't, mm. I would never have guessed, you don't look Mexican, um, and then would proceed to tell me what their guesses would be, um, and,
0: because uh, <laughs> you asked,
2: right, yeah, Cause cause you definitely yeah. wanted to know, this was, uh. this was specific to Bucknell, where people were just like, I thought you were a mix of this and that, I'm like, okay, I need to go, go to what Buck. people tell you, this, this, boy you. you once, this boy told me once, this boy told me once, um oh I thought like you were white and Japanese oh my god oh my no, I do remember
0: you actually saying that I forgot but I that's so specific yeah. How, when were you thinking yeah. about this I know that's so weird somebody really like, he was
1: like what is she like he was racking I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure y'all
2: knew him but he was one of those who were just yeah. <laughs> Mine. one of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness that is say something, Ida. I totally interrupted. No, 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 no. I just like, I fucking know exactly what you meant when you said one of those because there <sighs> mm, were there of a, a fucking, lot fucking like blatant ass, you know, men on that fucking campus who just like literally said the first thing that came to their mind with no filter, and I'm like,
2: you know, mean like you
0: could have took like maybe ten more seconds to process that before it came mm-hmm. out your mouth, but no,
2: you could have just said, oh, I didn't know and just Yeah, that shit was up. it. That's
1: it. You don't have to insert your uh, opinions onto any Oh, wow. Okay. Thank
0: mm-hmm. you so much. No.
2: Yeah. But, so like that's really the extent of
0: like what I've gotten <laughs> um in terms of like oh, but you know, like you don't really fit mentality. in this image of like what yeah. we would expect someone to like Mexican to like be like
2: Exactly. And hmm. just knowing that that image is, you know, often very like diminishing and just like oh my
0: gosh yeah you know
2: just like Mm -hmm. all these super stereotypical but um the reason why I said my answer is going to be political not really I guess but I mean there's this whole like group like subsection of like white Latinas who have you know been very vocal about like oh I've been I grew up told that like I was not Latina enough and like because I don't know Spanish or because I look white and but I'm like just as latinas like the brown girls or like the the girls who do know spanish Mm. so it's like it's very um weird because then you go to latin american countries or specifically mexico and like people who look like those girls or like those men who are lighter skin um are the ones in power or are the ones like Mm. making decisions for indigenous looking folks um or even black folks in mexico so it's very like yes it sucks that you know i guess people don't assume that we are what we are but like it's not like we're it's not like the violence racism or colorism that happens within Mexico or like people who are here so it's kind of just like but like I'm also experiencing you know oppression but it's more it's really not so yeah
0: no no girl that's that's and it's real like I think that's like an experience any fucking place in the world that has been colonized by european people or just in general has like experienced colonization like share i i would assume share that you know the idea you know classism like racist classism mm-hmm. like the uh, fact that they're like someone's huge yeah white passing people in power who are displayed mm-hmm. in media like mm-hmm. i definitely girl like um there are people who are like in my family who i know are they are white-passing Africans, mm. but, um, mm. you know, they definitely, you know, they are still, that's the thing. It's like, we understand, like, in the United States, I think there you can be from anywhere and be of American origin. And I think, like, the reason why that idea is not as pertinent in a lot of other countries is because migration and people from other cultures coming into those spaces probably happened a long time ago, like way before mm-hmm. way before slavery happened in the United States and stuff like that. And so like the people who settled in certain regions or parts of the world have been there thousands of years. But the reality is like the indigenous people in those places like are, you know, not the only people who live in those places today. And so like mm-hmm. when you think of, I mean, I can't speak to like, um, you know, Mexico, Central America and South America too much because like obviously I'm not from there, but like in East Africa, like there was um, colonization from the Middle East, from Saudi Arabia, there was colonization from the Italians, there Mm -hmm. was colonization from the Turkish Ottoman Empire. There's like so many influences in that region of the world that results in like a lot of people i mean and and not to say like there are also like still obviously a lot of indigenous people in those parts of the world too but um there are people who are more fair-skinned also because of those interactions there are people who who are more white passing because of the that history and they are not necessarily less eritrean or less east african or whatever but they're not indigenous they're not indigenous and i think like making that difference is really important when claiming um identity or or claiming Mm -hmm. maybe a struggle that like you wouldn't really fully experience because there are privileges that come like with anywhere in the world for 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 meeting a wider standard especially today Mm -hmm. maybe that's not the case thousands and thousands of years ago but like i i i can't speak to the history of um You know, like what the beauty standard and like the like standard for elitism was like for the Mayan Empire. (laughs) I don't fucking know. (laughs) But um it changes over time and like we just like exist when white supremacy is a thing. So yeah, yeah, girl, it's it's nothing new, it's 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 nothing like to not bring to light like you're you know, you're just saying what 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 exists, like it's just true, you know. Mm
1: But I did want to ask you guys, um, I think that I really enjoyed this conversation and it's been really great just learning about each of our parents, I guess, different experiences and our own experiences. And so I just want to kind of end on what are some of the things that you cherish about growing up in an immigrant household and just combining also like, do you have any advice to other young children of immigrants growing up? in the west or growing up in a place away from their parents country of origin things you might have wanted to do differently
2: <laughs> mm. <clears throat> um i'll go quickly um the first question was what do i cherish um mm-hmm. i mean i just love our i just love how we are <laughs> i yeah. like i love them. <laughs> You know, there's so many issues, there's so many flaws, you know, and we're growing and we're learning. Um, But I mean, I just love like um, our, I love how huge my family is. I love how huge like the families of the people who like marry into our families are. Like, I just, it's so such a like humble, generous community that I grew up in. and for a community that doesn't have much, that doesn't have extras of anything, but still somehow found a way to like help one another out. Um, you know, like my mom is the most generous woman I've ever known mm-hmm. and she doesn't have a lot to give, you know, like she, <laughs> um, and, and she's like one in a million in like in the communities that I grew up in. So I just cherish like, learning and growing up in that environment because that's definitely shaped who I am now and like it is the standard that I want to live up to like I want to be as good of a person to others as like they were to each other and are to each other Um, because there's no saying no I mean there's no boundaries so that's an issue (laughs) But, um, but you know it's like if someone is in trouble if someone like needs anything you know someone is there to answer the call so I just really cherish that about about my family and about the people that we grew up around for sure. And as far as like any, that's so advice,
0: beautiful. Sorry, no, I just wanted to. That's such a <laughs> like way to like kind of like I guess uh, celebrate your family.
2: Yeah, no, nah, they're annoying, but they're also really they're, <laughs> we're, we're that not for each other. <laughs> um, and then as far as advice, I guess I would say, um, I mean, I would have loved to like be more interested in our history and like where our families comes from and like Mm -hmm. our complex history with like, you know, idealizing colonizers and all of that stuff. Like I would have loved to learn that earlier because um, uh, although it's like very dense stuff and like, you know, not the, the greatest things to learn about like your lineage, but I would have loved to learn that earlier and to like have a nuanced perspective of my upbringing and my history um, earlier. And so I would just encourage like for that to begin earlier, if possible. I mean, that also like then requires access to, you know, all of the things. Um, But I, so I guess I would just recommend like embracing your family and all their weird, odd (laughs) things that are not normal American things. Um, Because I mean, it's cooler than like normal American things. <laughs> Like Normal Caucasian America is boring. <laughs> so our food no, tastes I,
0: better. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> honestly, I was going to say that. I was like, Oh, one thing I cherish. No, honestly, <laughs> I really do cherish the food. Like I, it sounds so silly, but it is such a huge part of, cultural identity is the foods that you make the spices that you use what it means to like have these big meals and family gatherings and get togethers it's all really centered around food and sharing space and sharing bread and breaking bread and all that good stuff um but i think what i cherish most about growing up in an immigrant household is that kind of duality of understanding that there is a world and an existence and Just like the world is so much bigger than you, and I feel like sometimes if you don't have that cultural understanding, it can feel very small. Um, And knowing that your parents had to make these tumultuous journeys and really have your best interest in heart, like kind of what Cynthia was saying, like yes, families can be annoying and all of these other things, but knowing the sacrifice that they went through and having to sit with the relation of, what I have done the same thing. 16, you know, just been like, goodbye, America, off to a new world. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't know if I have this strength in me. And I think that I don't even think until listening to this with you guys and doing this recording, did I realize the strength that it takes to just up and leave a place whether you are doing it voluntarily or whether you're being forced to it's extremely challenging to go someplace where you don't have resources you don't know people you're doing this all on your own with the no support system could I have done the same thing I don't know um so I cherish that I cherish the food I cherish the family and the support but I also cherish just like the little things that I got to experience while maybe as a child I thought were super annoying but looking back I'm so proud of like knowing like talking about Trinidadian carnival and all of these things that I was like nobody cares about that mom and now I'm like no tell me more when are we going like so I think that would also be my advice to young children is just lean into your culture like it's it's beautiful it is sacred and it's definitely something you're going to want to hold on to so lean into learning the language lean into like Cynthia said learning more about the history and the background and the importance of what it means to be coming from these places um you know, because the more you hear about these stories, the more you have a better understanding and appreciation of your family. Like I didn't know until a few years ago, like my grandpa was a sharecropper and like, like all of these things that are really cool that, well, not (laughs) that are interesting um that's like part of your history and if you don't ask the questions you'll never know and then once these people are gone it's like that's a part of history that goes with them so as we start to get older I have this genuine curiosity to know more about the lives and the childhood of my parents and of my grandparents because they won't always be around and I want to be able to pass that on to younger generations so I would definitely tell children of immigrant parents to really lean into their history ask questions write it down too because I'm like super bad at forgetting things so just make a note of these things
0: yeah I mean I would just echo everything that Cynthia and Deja said and I mean the only thing I would add is um embrace the in-between of life that you exist in you know like being a third culture kid being somebody who is able to have perspective and understand like the intersectionality between where you're from and where you are it should be celebrated like I think like we I think at least when I think of like growing up there are so many feelings of like awkwardness and anxiety and like not really knowing how what to do with with that like and i think um i mean obviously it's easier to for me to say this now as like somebody who's processed things and is older and all that but um i would say embrace the awkwardness embrace the unique experiences that you'll have as somebody who navigates you know this new country like without any reference to it really um, because you get to be able to create your existence and it's a lot more difficult because there's not necessarily a template for you and how you should exist in in you know you know in a western world if you're if you're migrating from like a non-western country to a western country but um i would say just like celebrate it and know that like you are whatever you choose to do with your life like and if you extend that into like having children the generation after you literally will look to you and you are kind of going to be that foundation or the blueprint for for the the people to come after which is like a huge thing to think about for young people because it's like whoa like I'm just like trying to get these sneakers that my parents will not let me buy but it's also (laughs) It's a beautiful thing like for you to like have that experience I think celebrate where you are celebrate like that identity and just be proud and love yourself. Mm-hmm. It sounds like really corny and cliche but yeah.
1: Nobody's that's but it's so it. true. It's so true yeah but thank you so much Cynthia yeah this oh, is so amazing happy. thank you for taking the you. time and sharing <laughs> beautiful stories about your parents and your own experience I think like that also would just be a piece of advice like listen to other people's stories their backgrounds where their parents come from because you also learn so much like how cool is it that your grandma was like I'm just gonna hop on this
2: bus and, right like, yeah <laughs> like that's
0: She's awesome crazy.
2: yeah yeah I like learned so much about y'all I didn't know half of the things that you so I'm so happy I knew a few things but not not everything I'm mm-hmm. so happy
0: that I got to be here oh yeah thank you so so much have a wonderful day I hope your your weekend is lovely the yeah. sun is out everybody should go to the beach or just do something outside go walk Enjoy outside this
1: beautiful California weather
0: all right so amazing to have had Cynthia come on the show and talk to us about the experience of being a second generation child of immigrants that was such a fun discussion yeah. Deja and I like are really <laughs> excited to have more guests in the show but that's pretty much it for this week's episode thank you all for tuning in and dissecting the concept of second and first generation migrants with us tonight If you have any topics that you want us to tackle or you want to be on an episode of Sad Girl Sunday, be sure to DM us. And we also want to emphasize that we want to allow people to share their stories and their truth with us.
1: Honestly, it was really fun and I'm like still... I'm just learning so many new things and I think that's what's so beautiful about getting to interview people even like I was saying people that are your friends there's still so much more to learn about them so please please reach out if you want to be on an episode we would love to interview and just you know pick apart some topics um but as always you can listen to this episode and more on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts and all podcast streaming platforms and don't forget to follow us on Instagram this the handle is at Sad Girl Sunday underscore spelled out at S A D G R L S U N D A Y underscore.
0: Have a great night. <laughs>